get ready for an epic experience that you won't forget. The Be Your Best Self Conference, August 22nd at the Grand Event Center in Grandview Heights. You'll rub elbows with some seriously cool folks in the business world and soak up all sorts of wisdom about being a bold leader, rolling with the punches, and smashing through any obstacles that may come your way. It's not just about setting through speeches. It's about making connections and diving deep into learning that'll stick with you for ages. We've got a killer lineup of speakers just for you. First up, we've got Brian John, the brains behind Echo and Athena, who's going to drop some knowledge bombs about leading with love. Next, we'll hear from Shara Hutchison, the powerhouse CEO of Exposure, who's going to spill the beans on how to navigate change like a pro, whether it's in your personal life or at work. And then brace yourself for Stephen Carr, the mastermind behind Belief Force, who's going to show us how to kick those self-limiting beliefs to the curb and step into our full potential. But wait, there's more. We've got a lively panel discussion lined up where we'll tackle the ins and outs of working with different generations in the workplace, led by the amazing Dahlia Calgreen from United Residential Management. And to keep the momentum going all day long, we've got the one and only LaShondra Baker from LBB Edutainment as our hype woman. Oh, and don't even think about sneaking out early because we've got some seriously awesome prizes up for grabs at the end of the day. Trust me, you don't want to miss out. So mark your calendars, spread the word, and get ready for a day packed with inspiration and connections. Chamberpartnership.org backslash BYBS 2024. Hello, everyone. This is Katie Ellis, President and CEO of the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership. Welcome to the Business Inspires podcast. And with me, as usual, is our wonderful co-host, Brett Johnson of Circle 270 Media. Oh, thank you, Katie. It's good to be back behind the mic with you. That's it. That's it. I enjoy it, as always. And our guest today is Brandon Borgman. He's been a valuable member of the Carlisle, Patchen and Murphy Law Firm since 2008, where he practices estate and business succession planning, probate, special needs law, and tax. He provides legal counsel to individuals, business owners, and families regarding estate planning, tax planning, and business succession planning. Additionally, Brandon is skilled in assisting executors and trustees with the administration of estates and trusts, probate litigation, and taxation matters. Brandon, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's a mouthful of stuff. (laughs) It is, it is. And uh, when you try to work your bio through, you want to be accurate, but uh, also, you know, not put people to sleep as they read through it here. Yeah, no, that's true. So, I mean, so with all that that Katie covered, I mean, what situations in people's lives come up that they need to hire you for then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are uh, typically, we say anyone and everyone essentially needs an estate plan in some way, shape or form. And it's usually once you hit age 18, we say that need can arise. Uh, I have a lot of clients I work with that when their children hit age 18 and they become legally adults, maybe not behaviorally adults, but legally adults, Uh, they no longer, as a parent, have the right to access that child's medical records. They no longer have the right to manage your financial matters. And so a lot of times before we send a child off to college, we like to put powers of attorney in place just in case so the parents can access medical records if something goes wrong or, you know, manage finances if they need to. So we always say, hey, once you hit 18, there's at least a very basic level there. But outside of that, It's a lot of life events uh, that drive people towards us. So having a child, getting married, uh, getting divorced, someone passes away in the family, you inherit something. 
uh, you move to a new state. These are all things that kind of we always say are, are triggers uh, to you know come in and, and have a talk with us and get a plan uh, put in place. And uh, outside of that, I mean, I wouldn't say there's any kind of financial or you know monetary threshold that we look at. It runs the whole gambit. I have a lot of clients who are young married couples, maybe just had their first child. And uh, you add up their net worth, once you factor in mortgages and student loans, it may be in the negative. So it's not necessarily always about, hey, planning for money and moving the money. But if you have a small child, a big part of it is planning about who's going to take care of your child, right? Should both parents pass away while the child's under 18? And more important is what does happen to the money that's there after both parents pass away? Because the default law is once a child turns 18, if we don't plan for it, we give a lump sum to that 18-year-old. And usually lump sums of money and 18-year-olds are a bad mix. Uh, and so we have had that situation come up. Now, thankfully, you know, knock on wood, in that situation, we had three and a half million going to an 18-year-old who at first decided you know, probably high school wasn't something he needed to finish, but he did. He finished it out. And now he actually he runs his own company now and is doing fantastic uh, since then. So that's one of the success stories there. But so there from the gamut all the way up to, you know, millions of dollars uh, where you most people think oh, that's where you need the estate plan. It just it runs the whole gambit there. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's funny. I, I think you're right. We don't envision those life situations. Oh, it's never going to happen to me. We answer that question like, oh, it's never going to happen, never going to happen. But it does. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's so simple to plan for, to think about. But because it is very nitty gritty in mm -hmm. regards to the details, it correct? Is. And, you know, because it can be, oh, come on, that should be easy enough to do. It's like, no, nah, not necessarily. I mean, we, we get some some pretty refined planning put in place. I mean, some it depends on client philosophy, too. Uh, some clients that you know want to control every last thing from the grave and put as many strings on the inheritance as they can. On the other side of the spectrum, I have clients who are like, give it to them. If they blow it, they blow it. That's called life. I'm dead. I don't care anyway. Uh, you know. And so I always tell clients there there isn't a totally right or wrong answer to the planning. There's certain things we always want to do with everyone's estate plan, but there's a lot of variation above and beyond that, and some of it's philosophical. You know, sometimes people have religious ties into it, uh, just, you know, money management perspective, uh, charitable elements to it as well. And so the world's kind of wide open. Um, some people want to put incentivizing provisions uh, in trust documents with financial incentives, substance abuse issues, uh, you know, kind of built in requirements of premarital agreements. You, you'd be surprised at some of the some of the things that we we end up drafting. Hmm. Yeah. So it really sounds like you tailor your services to the client that you're seeing? We, we do. We do. Um, I always tell clients that there are certain documents that we will put in place no matter what the situation is. And, and that kind of goes to um, another area of estate planning that most people don't think about because everybody thinks about the estate plan and think, okay, that means I'm, I'm dead and what happens next. But the other element is we always want to plan for the possibility that somebody, they're still alive, but they have lost capacity. Right. They can't make healthcare choices. They can't manage finances. So a big part of uh, estate planning is putting documents in place called powers of attorney to allow the client to pick who's going to be making those choices for them when they no longer can. Because the alternative here in Ohio is when you become incapacitated, and you don't have a power of attorney. we got to march down to the probate court and get a guardian appointed for you. 
And that's a very involved process. It's a very lengthy process. It's a very invasive process. I mean, it's basically putting almost the entirety of your financial and healthcare life into the public record at the probate court. And you're judicially declared, the phrase they use is incompetent. I wish the law would change it. I think incapacitated is a little bit more kinder, softer word. But no, we in a guardianship, we actually have a court entry declaring somebody incompetent. And so again, powers of attorney avoid that. And so those are some of those basic documents. I don't care if you have $0 or you have $100 million, we want those documents in place uh, across the board. But then when we get into things like wills and trusts, it's always very specific to each client's situation, what they want to have happen. You know, we can draft it different for each child situation or, you know, it just it just varies. We just got to really listen to what they're telling us and what their life situation is and make sure that at the end of the day, we're achieving their intent. Right. That's the goal. That's the goal. So it sounds like if there was something emotional or like, oh, man, I don't want to go into those topics and think about those things. It sounds like it's better to do it yourself and be able to make those choices than hand that over to someone you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, because you get you get to, again, you pick who's mm -hmm. who's stepping in your shoes, if you will, uh, who's running the show where. In a guardianship, it can be anyone who happens to apply and the court thinks is a good fit as your guardian, right? So a lot of estate planning also is about control, uh, not only controlling who's going to make decisions for you, but if you have minor children, you're controlling who's going to be making parental decisions for your minor children in the event you pass and they're still minors. Right. So you mentioned a little bit earlier when we we're talking about family wealth or even business wealth, we often think we aren't in it. If you're not in the millions of dollars, why am I hiring an attorney? Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. So um, can you de demystify that thought of you don't have to be a millionaire to be there? We can, I think we touched upon it a little bit here, but I think we need to dig a little bit deeper because of it. You know, stories I hear, it's well worth it. Even if you just have $1 to your name, there are other pieces than just the money wealth mm -hmm. that are important. Can you demystify that a little bit, a little bit more? I sure too? can. Yeah. A, a big part of, a, of estate planning that kind of detaches from, you know, material wealth. Uh, one is those powers of attorney mm -hmm. planning for incapacity. That's a big part of it that most people don't think about because guardianships can, again, get very involved, get kind of, kind of messy sometimes. And so it allows your affairs to be managed privately. And that's a big reason why you would want to come and have an attorney work through your estate planning with you. Another kind of non-financial reason is, again, minor children. Uh, your estate plan is the place where you can express who you want to basically be the substitute parent for those kids. Um, you know, who's going to be making schooling decisions for there? Who's going to be making healthcare decisions for them? And if you, you know, don't take that time and put it in these documents, then it really is up to initially a court to decide what's in your child's best interest. And kind of anybody can uh, apply to be the guardian. So I have clients who express that preference, uh, but I also have clients who express a preference who would they would not like to be in that role. So, or, you know, or even express a preference that they want a two-parent household, uh, right? And so maybe they say, hey, my sister would be a great guardian for my children, and I want her and her spouse to be uh, the guardians as long as they're married at the time, right? Look, kind of stipulations there, yeah. so can really think through it that way. But those are the things that kind of come into play regardless of you know your asset level or anything about saving tax. And um, that and just making things easier and simpler for you know your survivors, frankly. You know, 
we can set things up to let's say avoid probate uh right probate has become a little bit of a four-letter word uh these days and i mean there it's not unwarranted uh, i'll tell you what can make probate really frustrating is are the parties involved and if people want to you know throw a wrench in the gears they can do so uh but avoiding probate is a pretty simple process uh it doesn't take a whole lot of effort it, it's mostly paperwork to be honest with you it's all about how you own what you own when you pass away and we can guide our clients through that and help them through that process but again just the ease of that uh and then something as simple as talking about funeral plans burial plans disposition uh of your what we say your bodily remains right after you're gone uh and there there's a form ohio law has a specific form it's very aptly called a disposition of bodily remains form and it sounds odd but uh that can be a lifesaver because a lot of people if they pass suddenly you know their spouse or their kids or you know family members they don't really know they're not in their mindset mm -mm. to even think about that no yeah. and i will i've had so many clients say that pre-planned or mm. prepaid burial funeral contract that mom or dad decided to put out there was a was a godsend because they knew they were doing what mom or dad wanted they didn't have to figure that out they didn't have to fight with their siblings about you know what song do we play and what you know what uh, bible verse do we read and it's just it's all there for them so they're focused on each other and just kind of dealing with the loss yeah. Uh, when we initially sent just a basic will when we got married, I, re I remember us wanting um, our kid's guardian, if we were to pass, that they lived, it was uh, my, my wife's sister and brother-in-law, uh, my, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they lived in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And stayed, and, and I remember going through some some paperwork for that to even happen Yeah, because the state of Ohio kind of takes care of their own unless you specifically say that person's in Indiana, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of a, a hurdle to go through if, if, you, if you're looking at a guardian to be out of state uh, to, to do that. So again, if you don't take care of it ahead of time, it becomes a headache. Yeah, and we, we talk through that. I mean, yeah. we ask who, who do you think is gonna be in that role for your kids, where do they live? Mm -hmm. Because you, you, when you think about that, if they live out in California and you're here in Ohio, yeah, they might be great guardians for the kids, but situationally, if you need a guardian, that means both parents are now deceased and the child's under 18. So not only has the child lost both parents, but now we're telling them, you gotta move out to the West Coast to a whole foreign world. So those are some of the considerations that we also try to work people through. Yeah. Yeah. So to move on to, <clears throat> excuse me, a different topic that you take care of, um, can you describe what special needs law is and then how does it intersect with the estate planning and trust creation? Absolutely. So special needs law, um, really what it is, it's an area of estate planning that is focused in on, usually it's you know children or other beneficiaries or someone that a client wants to give an inheritance to that has some kind of you know limiting condition, developmental delay, or other disability. And most of the time they may be receiving some type of public assistance benefit as well. Most of those public assistance benefits are what we call means tested. So in order to receive those benefits, you have to have income that's below a certain amount per month, and you have to have what we call resources below a certain threshold. Now, those resources and income thresholds are very, very low, right? You have to be quite impoverished uh, to qualify for some of these programs. Uh, and at the same time, a lot of parents say, I don't want to 
I don't want to disinherit my child just because they have special needs. And historically, what, what we have seen happen is they disinherit the child and they say, okay, you know, son, John, uh, you know, your brother, Jim can't inherit because he's on public assistance. So John, we're giving you all the inheritance with the hope and the understanding you're going to use some of that for your brother. Sometimes that works out, but you know, that's kind of fraught with peril sometimes because maybe John doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. Uh, maybe John gets divorced uh, and loses some of the inheritance in a divorce. Maybe John gets sued because he's in a car crash and then suddenly, you know, what was intended for the special needs child is lost in that fashion. So special needs planning is usually kind of very specific types of trust agreements that are drafted to comply with state and federal law so that the special needs child can not only continue to receive really, really crucial public assistance benefits to meet, you know, their daily needs and their activities, but then we have a supplemental source from the trust to pay for things above and beyond. So maybe you have a little bit better grade medical equipment. Maybe they can take a trip. Maybe they have other life enrichments. And again, these are things that are in the federal and state law that allow these types of trusts as long as they're drafted a particular way. And it's kind of an acknowledgement saying, hey, you know, just the basic public assistant program really isn't going to always be enough. So we allow parents to supplement that. And that's a big part of what the special needs planning is. Yeah, it's preserving those benefits. It sounds like the earlier, the better then, because of all the changes you talked about, it, the, it, the potential modifications over time. Yeah, it is. And and the thing, those regulations change by the day, it sometimes feels like. And so, you know, you want to get in place, get it set up and get that uh, ready to go. Who knows what, what yeah. the future may bring there. But uh, yeah, we just want to preserve that. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great. Um what are the and shifting into another because there's so many areas that you <laughs> you cover with the law firm which is good because it makes it a very rich episode we get to talk to you about but what are some let's go into the, the business owner succession thing and i think you know before we started recording you were mentioning which i'd love katie and i both jaw drops like you're talking about you know generational succession of four or five six generations so what are the key reasons why business owners and individuals should engage in that uh, business succession planning. What are the nuances to that that a lot of us don't understand? We don't get that's like, oh, yeah, that family's gone on for five generations, but it didn't just happen. Right, right. No, it's it's careful planning, and it's careful planning over a long period of time. Uh, and really, a, a big portion of it is if they have next generations who want to come into the business and they plan to have them come into the business, it's usually starting that next generation as early as they can. And it's not like we're thrusting them in and start, you know, you need to know how the business works. A lot of times bringing them into family meetings and just introducing basic concepts to them. You know, what's a, an LLC? What is a trust? You know, how do some of these legal concepts work? So they start building the base up and they, you know, of course they're spending time around the company. So it's not just time in front of boring attorneys all the time. They're understanding how the company runs, but some of the legal concepts and the earlier you know, we see these companies that are getting into Gen 4, 5, and 6. Uh, the earlier we see that involvement, we see a different type of mentality in the children or the next gen. Because if if you're not involved and you don't know anything and suddenly the generation above you dies and it just all drops into your lap, a lot of times we see people look at that as like a windfall. They won the lottery. They won a prize or whatever it is. And it's just all it is. And they kind of maybe treat it that way. Uh, where if you've been involved with it for a long time, you know the history, you know what's gone into the growth of the company, 
what your ancestors have done, if you will, to get to where you are. Uh, they view it more as a legacy and are usually a bit better stewards of it over time. And so that's one element of the succession planning is who's going to be taking over and how do we start uh, kind of getting them ready for that. Uh, then the other element to the succession planning is if we have multiple owners, but not necessarily, we're not looking for generational uh, ownership transfers. You know, the discussion usually starts with, hey, you like your business partners, right? And say, yeah, yeah, we all like each other. Like, well, do you like your business partners, six spouses or significant others or children? Oh, yeah, they're, they're great. They're fine. Do you want to be in business with your business partners, spouses, significant others or children? And that's usually when they're like, not really no right and if, and so they don't really think that through because if say you have a three-member llc each has an ownership interest which think of it it's almost like you own a share of stock right if you pass you have an llc interest that we need now to administer and if, if it ends up in the hands of a surviving spouse who knows nothing about the business now you've got two owners in the business running the show and a third owner who's not involved and probably knows nothing about the business yet probably wants some economic value out of that process so we do things like buy-sell agreements, which we have obligations to buy each other out, or we couple that with life insurance, right? So we fund it through life insurance so they can just automatically buy out. So it gives business owners the right and ability to control who they are in business with. Um, and it's never too late in the process oh, heavens, of, no. of a business. Okay. Yeah, so it's, yeah. uh, if you didn't do it at the beginning, it's not too late. No, actually, okay. uh, just uh, uh, earlier this week, I sat down with a father-son combo uh, that's been around for 43 years now and uh, just now putting our succession plan in place as between mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, never too late to start. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you are just a wealth of information and advice <laughs> and support. Uh, thank you so much for doing this with us. Just one last question, though. Uh, if we were to ask your clients what they like best about working with you, what do you think that would be? Uh, I hope it's just I make the process easy for them. Um, I try to be warm and open about the conversation. Um, try to demystify it a little bit. Uh, you know, I say maybe it sounds complicated, but that's just attorneys creating job security, right? If we didn't make it so complicated, you wouldn't need us anymore. Uh, but no, just try to make the process easy. Be personable, be friendly, uh, be cognizant of, you know, family needs, trying to breach maybe what might be difficult topics uh, to talk about. Just me being the, the intermediary there and alleviating a spouse having to say, well, what if I die and you get remarried and what happens to the assets and, you know, kind of just leading them down that path and having that, you know, breaking the ice for them. So maybe that personal touch and just being uh, open up front and just kind of easy to work with, I hope, is what most of my clients appreciate. Yeah. Super. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been, as Katie said, informative. And, and I, uh, if, if anyone needs to contact you or should contact you, what would be the best way to start? Yeah. Uh, feel free to give a call uh, to Carlisle, Patchen and Murphy. I don't know if I can relay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So this 614-228-6135, they can ask for me. I can tell you typically I like just to have an initial meeting with clients. It's not any charge. It's to get my arms around what the situation looks like and then make re recommendations after that. So it's usually the easiest way to call and just get an appointment and get the process going. Good. Great. And we'll put all of that information in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. 
Did you know sponsoring a Tri-Village Chamber event not only builds brand awareness, but expands your network? Our chamber unites hundreds of businesses and individuals through meaningful relationships, educational programming, exclusive resources, and awesome events. Sponsorship supports our efforts to build and strengthen the community. To find out which opportunities are best for you, contact me directly at katie, K-A-T-I-E, at chamberpartnership.org. Thanks for partnering with us. Thanks for listening to Business Inspires. Check out the podcast show notes for information about this podcast, to schedule a guest appearance, or to find out more about sponsoring this podcast.